Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Second Chance Podcast. I'm Raphael Rowe, your host. This podcast series explores the theme of second chance. We raise questions about who deserves a second chance, who decides who gets a second chance, and what a second chance actually means. We speak to people from all walks of life about their experiences, including those who have been given a second chance and some who you might believe are beyond deserving a second chance. Now, before I introduce my guest today, I wanted to ask you to support the Raphael Rowe Foundation. The mission of the foundation is to end dehumanisation of people in prison and build safer societies. We work with those who administer prison systems throughout the world and inspire them to abolish dehumanising, degrading and dangerous practices, putting more emphasis on the health, education and rehabilitation of those in their care. In many prisons across the world, basic human rights are not being met and systems are collapsing, causing overcrowding, rising violence, suicides and drug issues, making it difficult to rehabilitate inmates and reintegration back into society. I know this because if any of you have watched my Netflix series, Inside the World's Toughest Prisons, you would have seen what I'm talking about. If you want to help, please visit the website at www.rafaelrofoundation.org and register your support for the work we are doing. And if you can afford to make a donation to help our mission, please click on the donate link, which will take you to our GoFundMe campaign. Thank you. Now, my guest today is Sarah Fry, an inspirational young woman who had to have both her legs amputated above the knee and was left paralysed after a drunk driver crashed into her car on the night of July the 30th, 2020. Sarah was just 17 at the time and on her way home with three friends when the incident happened. She suffered paralysis below the waist, a broken back, injuries to her spine, a broken ankle and injuries to her face. 
She has undergone 20 surgeries, but needed to have both of her legs amputated. Less than three months after the incident, Sarah was released from hospital and has gone on to do some amazing things, from wakeboarding, skydiving and touring Europe. Posting photos of her life on social media has inspired thousands of her followers. Sarah was hurt physically, but her spirit continues to shine. Before I ask you about your inspirational story, Sarah, what are your plans today? So it's 10 o'clock in the morning where you are in the world, in the USA. What do you have planned for the rest of the day? So I just have um, some of my cousins here from Arizona. And so, and I live in Utah. And so they drove about 12 hours um, and they're coming to stay with us. And so I'm just going to hang out with my cousin. Um, we might go shopping and then we might see a movie later tonight or something. It's kind of up in the air right now. Well, what's on at the movies now that you might want to go and see? Um, there's a new Elvis Presley movie that just came out. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think I've we're going to go see that, that one. It's meant to be really good. Yeah. Oh, that, I, I've heard that is supposed to be really good. I've been to Utah, actually, Salt Lake City, um, mm-hmm. many, many years ago. When I was working for the BBC, um, I remember flying over and just because it's called Salt Lake City, I thought everything was a salt lake and it was quite a stunning view from above as you're coming into land. But I had quite a, a strange experience there because we were filming. I was filming with the Mormon um, sort of body over there. Yeah. And I remember going out one evening with my crew, my team, and we had a few drinks in a bar and got a little bit loud and I remember the waiter coming over to us and saying we'd rather you didn't drink anymore and had these coffees on the house I mean we weren't drunk we were just speaking a little bit louder and I'm kind of like what's going on here but I think it's because they had a a rule on the amount of alcohol you could or couldn't drink yeah yeah I think so is that across the whole of Utah? I can't remember, or is it just where I was at that particular time? I'm not sure exactly. I think I think that might be all of Utah. I'm not sure, though. Ah, right. Okay. Well, it made sense because it was really embarrassing. Although people were saying they loved our London accents, <laughs> I, I got people saying, oh, I love your London accent. They could hear us across the bar, but the bar staff weren't entirely happy. I digress. I... Wanted to ask you, uh, Sarah, what what happened to you? Because you have this inspirational story that lots of people have taken inspiration from. Um, And that's where you are today. But you had an accident or an incident. How would you describe it? Because I've read it was an accident. I've read it was an incident. How would you describe what happened to you? Um, So I was in Bear Lake with some of my friends. Um, Bear Lake is just a lake in Utah. And um, we were headed home from a super fun weekend. And we were going through a canyon. And the canyon was pretty tight and narrow and with, you know, really windy roads. Um, And we were headed home when we were hit head on by a drunk driver. And um, the driver was about four times over the legal limit of alcohol intoxication and was going about 
70 miles per hour in like a 40 mile per hour zone. And so I don't know what that is in kilometers, um, but that's going really fast in a canyon. And we were just hit head on. There was nothing we could have done to avoid the collision. I was with three of my other friends. um, And luckily we all survived um, from a miracle, honestly. How old were you at the time? I was 17 years old. And so this was in July of 2020. So about two years ago, it'll be two years this month. And so I was instantly paralyzed from the waist down and had many internal injuries. And then I had, there were amazing people that were in the other cars surrounding us. There was like a trained EMT, um, someone with a medical kit in their car, a special forces guy, just a lot of highly trained people for situations like these. And so we got some help and then it took the ambulance about an hour to get to us. And so the ambulance came and took us all to the hospital. And then I had to be lifelighted to a different hospital in Salt Lake City um, for more specialized care. And they realized that I wasn't getting any blood flow to either of my legs. And they both needed to be amputated above the knee. So I spent about three months in the hospital and had a total of 20 surgeries. Um, and for the first two weeks, I did it. I don't remember much. I don't remember much about the accident. For those first two weeks, I was just so heavily sedated and constantly in and out of surgeries. And because of COVID, only one parent was allowed to be in my hospital room at a time. And so luckily, because I was 17 and not 18 years old, um, I was allowed to have a parent with me. And so my mom and dad would take turns being with me every other day and yeah, that lasted for about three months. And yeah, that was two years ago this month. Forgive me for asking the questions that I'm asking, but I'm thinking about the you know thousands, if not millions of people who are listening to your story and have heard your story who will have lots of questions. So I'm going to try and ask you some questions that I'm thinking they would want to know, but I'm more curious. And it's also to help people who are going through a similar situation. It might not be a car incident. It might be another incident or or a point in their life where, you know, something traumatic has happened to them and they're looking for some courage. And I think you you have plenty of that as, as we will get to. At the point that you were hit head on by this other vehicle, were you aware after the impact of what was going on around you, Sarah, or was was you out cold until you woke up in the hospital? Um, I do remember some parts about being in the car. Um, I don't remember getting hit, but afterwards I remember being trapped in the car and feeling like I couldn't move. I couldn't even lift up my arm. Um, My friend in the passenger seat was trying to reach back and hold my hand, but I couldn't lift up my arm. I, I just, I couldn't move at all. And so I remember just feeling really confused and really scared. I thought that I was like dreaming just because, I don't know, I'm always like, bad things happen to other people. Bad things don't happen to me. And so I just remember being so confused and 
not knowing what was going on. People were trying to talk to me. People were trying to, you know, kind of keep me conscious, asking my name, my birthday, my favorite color, just like questions. And I just remember thinking like, I don't really, I don't know. I don't really care right now. Like I just want help. And so like, I didn't really want to answer any of their questions and like my belly hurt really bad and I felt like I couldn't breathe and I was kind of in and out of consciousness because I don't remember being trapped in the car for a full hour. I just remember like bits and pieces and just being so confused and scared. Thank you for sharing that. How how severe were the injuries of of your friends in the car with you? There were two people in the car with you, right? And they were sat in the front? There were three others. So two in the front and then one boy sitting next to me. So um, the driver of my car, her name is Tavy, and she broke her femur. And so it was a pretty bad break. She was on crutches for about six months. And then my friend Brooke, who was in the passenger seat, she um, had abdominal wounds and back wounds. And then the boy sitting next to me, his name is Josh. He broke his collarbone and cracked his pelvis. And so he was the only one that was able to get out of the car. Um, the rest of us couldn't even open our doors. And so he got out of the car and tried to help the best he could, but there wasn't really anything for him to do. But yeah, so I was just glad that everyone was okay. And the injuries that your friends suffered, have they all, I say, recovered from their injuries? There's, you know, I'm talking about the physical injuries, not the psychological. That's a whole different conversation. But in terms of their physical injuries, Sarah, have they recovered enough to resume some normal life? Right. Yeah. Yeah, they have. They've all recovered. Most of them are in college and everyone's doing great. Um, We're all really good friends. I feel like the accident really brought us closer together. We were all just so lucky that we were all alive. And so our friendship has grown since then. But yeah, they've healed physically for sure. People often ask in car incidents whether all the passengers were wearing seatbelts. Were you all wearing seatbelts at the time? Yeah, we all had seatbelts. And so that's how you know it was a pretty bad crash because we were all wearing seatbelts, but we all had very harsh injuries. Um, the windshield was nearly touching. The, my two friends in the front was nearly touching their faces. And so, yeah. From what you've described, Sarah, you, you came out of the incident more injured than your fellow passengers, your your friends. Why do you think that was? Why? Because you were in the back alongside your friend who, who suffered the collar injury. Why did the impact of the vehicle hit where you were sitting? Or was it just the trajectory, the trajectory of the vehicle and the damage? Do you know why that that was? Yeah, we we have no idea. We've been trying to figure out why I was more affected than the others because we all had seatbelts on the right way and we're trying to figure out if something went wrong with the manufacturing of the car. We've tried to look into that but haven't really come to any conclusions. And so it's just kind of something that's 
pretty unknown why my injuries were so severe. Yeah, no one really knows. And it's still early days, so I'm sure I hope more can be discovered that helps you and your family, your parents and friends get get the answers that you're you're searching for and the manufacturers. I hope that they're contributing to try and find those answers. You're in the the hospital bed and you are now discovering more about the state of your injuries. And you mentioned that you were paralyzed from the waist down. And at one point you were told that you needed to have both your legs from the knees down amputated. Tell me a bit more about how you were when you were in the hospital at the time, because I can't, and I'm sure there are lots of other people, can't fathom what what it would have been like for you. And this is where the inspiration of your story starts, in my view. Yes, absolutely. The hospital allowed both of my parents to come in to the hospital room to tell me about my accident, my injuries, um, because I had no idea what had happened to me. Even in the hospital, I was pretty confused. And so I was laying on my hospital bed and I was intubated. And so I had a tube down my throat for all of the surgeries. And so I couldn't talk. And then my hands were tethered to the sides of my bed so that I wouldn't pull on any of my tubes. I had a countless number of IVs and pick lines and tubes, you know, all inside of me. And so I just kind of laid there. I couldn't sit up to see that my legs were gone. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really move at all. And so I didn't know what had happened to me. I didn't know any of my injuries. And so, like I said, the hospital let both of my parents be in there for this one time to tell me about my accident. And um, I remember my both of my parents sitting at the edge of my bed and they were trying to tell me that I had survived, but my legs didn't. And they were kind of going around the word amputation. And so I didn't really understand fully what they were trying to say because I don't know. I just, I didn't really understand it. And so they told me what had happened. And when I finally understood clearly that I didn't have my legs anymore, I remember feeling okay. I remember holding my parents' hands as they were telling me, and I felt completely the same. I felt like the same person. I didn't have any head trauma. I just had my same personality. And so I knew that I would be okay. And I remember feeling so lucky that I was alive and that I had my parents right by me. And it was like in that moment, nothing else mattered. It was just that I am alive and the nurses are doing everything they can to help keep me healthy. But I had survived the worst of it. And so I just remember because I felt the exact same, I knew that this wouldn't affect my life in a negative way and that I would still, you know, find ways to be happy. And that is what I have done for the past two years, just because I don't want this accident to be what defines me and what ruins that happiness for me. 
incredible. As I listen to you, I feel emotional just imagining what it would have been like in that situation for both you and your parents. Where do you find at such a young age that the strength of character, and I'm sure I'm making it sound a lot easier than it was. I'm sure there was a lot of processing going on, Sarah. But where do you find the resilience having just been told or discovered that you'd lost a part of your body, your physical abilities, to think, okay, I'm not going to let that dictate and determine my future, even if it has an impact. Where does such a young person get the resilience and the, the, the strength in that situation to, to talk like you just have? You know, that's a good question. I feel like all my life, I have been a pretty optimistic person. And I would hate when people would complain. And I would always just look on the bright side of things. Um, And I just feel like that's kind of the way that I was raised. I had, I just have an amazing family. I'm the youngest of six kids. And so I have a pretty big family. But all of them are so incredible. And I just was raised in such an amazing home. And I remember having a few experiences that really changed and shifted my mindset into something more positive. I remember I was 15 years old and my older brother was 17 years old. And so he was a senior in high school and I was a sophomore. And so he would have to drive me to school, to and from school every single day. And so one time he was driving me home from school and he was in a hurry and I was in a hurry. He had to go to work and I had to be somewhere else like right after school. Um, But we were coming home and there was all of this traffic, all of the after school traffic and just, you know, cars lined the streets and we, you know, weren't really moving very fast, but we were both in a hurry and I was getting so frustrated. I was like hitting my hands on the dashboard I was like, why is there so much traffic? You know, the one day we're in a hurry. This is so frustrating. And so I just remember being so frustrated. And then my brother, his name is Jake. He looked at me and he said, Sarah, there is nothing that we can do to control this traffic. We might as well make the most of it. We can listen to our favorite music. We can have a good conversation. And he said, I'm going as fast as I can. And so was the car in front of me. And there's nothing we can do about this. And so we might as well be happy. And so I remember hearing that at 15 years old. And that one conversation meant the world to me. I will never forget it because that one conversation changed my whole mindset for high school, for the rest of my life, really, because I just realized there are so many things that I would get frustrated about that I couldn't control. And so it's like, why am I getting so frustrated when I am doing everything that I can? And so I just feel like that conversation, like I thought about that conversation after my accident and I thought there's nothing I can do to go back and change the past. Like what's done is done. What happened happened. And since there's nothing I can do to change the past, I might as well focus on the future and what I can do and let this be a positive thing 
and like I might as well make the most of it because there's nothing I can do to change it. And so I just kept replaying that conversation that conversation in my mind and that is just one experience that I have drawn from, like drawn my strength from and something that I've looked back on and I realized that that's part of where my good mindset came from, I think. You have an incredible way of of telling a story and your voice. And I'm sure that the listeners will agree with me. Your voice is so calming in the sense that, you know, for such a young person, and if this happened two years ago, it means you're 19 coming up to 20, if not 20 already. But you have this, this way of telling a story. And I don't say this very often about people, but there is something about you as I'm listening to you that makes sense you know this moment in the car with your brother and you're absolutely right and I'm a bit of a mantra that you know it's beyond our control so why worry about it you can only do what you can control but it was a lesson learned for you and you talked about at the beginning of the story being this bright you know person who looked at the positive side of life what was your life like what were the sort of things you enjoyed doing that you did a lot of before your your accident or the incident? You know, who was Sarah back when you were not just the frustrated 15-year-old in the car trying to get to the next thing? What sort of things did you enjoy doing? So I have been a cheerleader my whole life and a tumbler um, my whole life, and I love to dance. I was also on the golf team in high school. And for those who don't know what a tumbler is, what's a tumbler? A tumbler, um, basically, like, you run and do flips. So it's kind of like gymnastics. Yeah, it's like gymnastics, like you do flips on a mat. Yeah, that's what a tumbler is. And then a cheerleader, you know, with the pom-poms at school football games, hyping up the crowd. Um, That was like my favorite part of high school was being a cheerleader and cheering in front of all of my friends. And I was on the golf team in high school and I loved swimming and just being outside. I love summer. Summer's my favorite just when it's hot and I can go outside and just play around. And now... What's changed, if anything, in terms of the things that you like to do? There honestly hasn't been much of a change for me. At first, you know, my parents thought that I would take it so harshly, the news about losing my legs because I was a tumbler and a runner and a cheerleader. But when I just kind of accepted it and I knew that I would be okay, then I wanted to do all of those things that I used to because those are the things that made me happy. And so I remember in the hospital, I asked my mom, will I ever be able to swim again? Will I ever be able to cheer again? Will I ever be able to drive again? And those are the questions that I asked my mom. And she said yes to all of those questions. But, you know, in my mind, I'm like, she's just saying that she's my mom. So then I came home or I was getting ready to come home from the hospital and I was talking to some of my cheerleading friends and they were saying how the last football game, it's, it was going to be on October 13th. 
and I was like, okay, I wonder if I can leave the hospital before the last football game so that I can come and watch at least. And so I basically begged my nurses and begged everyone in the hospital to let me go. And they were saying like, we want you to do a couple of things before you go. And so I just worked really hard on those things, just like getting stronger. And I was doing physical therapy. And so I just wanted to keep getting stronger. And they wanted to see that growth and progress from me before I could leave. And so then they set they sent out their release date for me to leave. And it was going to be October 12th, the day before the last football game. And so I was like, this is perfect. And so um, I came home from the hospital. And the next day, my cheer coaches came and brought me my senior year uniform, my cute cheer uniform. They said that they actually want me to go out on the field and perform with them for, you know, one last time as a senior. And so I had learned a dance that they, that the cheerleaders actually made for me after my accident. They made me a dance that they performed at every single football game. And I had learned that dance in my hospital bed um, just for fun because I would watch their videos. And so the day that I came home, I was so excited to go out there. And the next day I was able to, yeah, go to that last football game and go on the field and perform with all the people I love. And in the crowd, everyone was like wearing the t-shirts that said like Sarah Strong was my little logo or my little saying that people made. And so everyone was wearing Sarah Strong stuff. And it was the most incredible feeling ever. It was like the best day of my life, being out there doing what I love, realizing that nothing has changed, realizing that I can still do everything I want to do, even if it looks a little bit different. You know, I just was able to cheer with my arms and it basically looked the same. And it was just an incredible night. And it was that night that I realized I'll be able to do anything that I want to do, even if it looks a little bit different. And so, like I said, I asked my mom if I could swim and cheer and drive. And I've gone swimming, you know, almost every day this summer. I love swimming. Um, some of my friends have pools in their backyard. And I've been able to learn how to drive. I just drive with hand controls that were put into this amazing car. So I just drive like, with both of my hands. And so I can go anywhere I want to go to my friend's house um, or wherever it is. So I've been able to do everything that I used to love to do. It's, it's an incredible story. And I'm, I, as I'm listening to you, Sarah, I'm thinking to myself, but but it is different. It, it's not the same. You You can't do things the same. I'm thinking that, but you kept saying, I'm doing what I want to do and I'm doing what I've always done but you've accepted that it's different. You know, how you do it is different, but it's not stopped you doing it. And I suppose that's a very powerful testimony for people, isn't it? Because the the impression, I suppose, or the perception or the idea that when you lose a physical limb, when you've had a, a limb before, maybe, you are incapable of doing the things that you've previously done. And obviously it depends to some extent on what it is that you did previously you might have to adapt but but it doesn't sound like from what you're saying that it has to be that way it doesn't have to be that way you've gone on to cheerlead you've gone on to do the things that you thought your mum was just saying to you in your hospital bed to keep your spirits up 
but you've proven everybody that you can, even though it's different. And that's the interesting thing that you've adapted your mind to know that it's different. And I found that really interesting that you were using, I do it, but it's, it's, it's different. So it hasn't stopped you doing the things that you've wanted to do, like drive, like swim, like cheerlead. Has it given you a different purpose in what you want to do or are doing now that maybe you wouldn't have thought about doing just two years ago when you were 17? For me now doing things like accomplishing something little is like a big accomplishment for me. Every little thing is a victory and a celebration for me. I have just recently gotten in and out of the pool all by myself and just doing that like has just made me so happy and it's like I find so much happiness in doing something that is so easy for someone else but I choose to find that as a victory and just be proud of myself for how far I've come I mean I find I just find so much happiness in accomplishing those little things that I used to not be able to do. And so it's been cool seeing my own growth and my own progress throughout this the past two years and how far I've come. Um, because in the hospital, like I said, at first I couldn't really move at all. But then as the weeks went by, I couldn't even like roll over to my side or sit up in my bed everything was just so difficult and I I just had become so weak. And so I remember thinking like, how am I ever going to learn how to sit up on my own? And how am I ever going to get from my bed into my wheelchair? You know, something that just is so easy for other people sitting up in bed. It's something that normal, everyone else doesn't really think about at all. And I just remember thinking how this is going to take me forever to be able to do these things. But as I would just see myself get stronger and work hard, I would gain that strength. And then when I finally did accomplish those things, I would just be so happy. And then my parents would see how happy I was and then they would be so happy. And it was just like a ripple effect of happiness kind of. And so it's just been cool seeing everything that I have accomplished and finding joy in the little things that I do accomplish. What about the, I mean, when when people lose limbs um, or have other disabilities that affect their capabilities, if that's the right word, and I'm trying to use my words to describe, they get prosthetic limbs and stuff like that. Do you, have you thought about that? I mean, what, 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 what's happened in your life in terms of, because I know these things must be well advanced these days. There's all kinds of things that must be available. Is that something that you've considered to aid your physical abilities? So um, normally that would be a possibility. Um, but for me, because of the paralysis, from the waist down, I don't have any hip function. And so if I did get prosthetics, I wouldn't be able to um, walk with those at all. And so they would just be like for looks. And so I don't think I will get prosthetics, but I have seen a couple of cool advancements in technology recently, such as like an exoskeleton robot kind of thing. 
And so basically it attaches to your body. And then if I would put prosthetics on, it would walk for me. It would create that movement, kind of like an electronic outline of your body kind of um, that would help walk for me. And so I've seen um, someone else who has paralysis and an amputation in one leg. I know she uses that. She puts a prosthetic on that one leg and uses that cool advancement in technology. Um, And so we're still kind of thinking about it and looking into that further if there would be anything down the road. I know it would be far in the future, but yeah. That's really interesting. We've talked a lot about the sort of physical things you've been able to do, not been able to do, and the things that you've been thinking. And we've touched on, I suppose, in all of this conversation, the psychological. But I suppose that in itself, you know, building the physical strength to sit up in bed, building the physical strength to get out of the pool, you know, achieving those unbelievable cheats that you've you've set yourself or those targets that you've set yourself in order to continue to progress in your life. What about the psychological challenges? Because at times they must be very different when, and I know you're such a positive person, but even the most positive person in the world will have their moments where you see or you feel, or even those around you make you see and feel differently. How do you cope with that, Sarah? Or or, or do you not have to because you're such a positive person? (laughs) I definitely do have bad days. I tend to think what my life could have been like or what I wanted it to be like because it's definitely very different than what I wanted it to be. But honestly, just I think that talking it through, talking through your feelings with people that you love, that's something that has helped me. If I keep everything bottled inside of me, what I'm feeling, then one day I'm just going to explode. And so talking to my family about, you know, just my thoughts and feelings, even if it's something minor or like a minor inconvenience that happened that day, that really helps. And just talking to my friends, my friends are so supportive because sometimes there will, something will happen, just something little every day. Like if um, I'm trying to park somewhere and all of the handicapped stalls are taken up, but I need a place to park, you know, like that is something that kind of can take a toll on me mentally. Like, this is so frustrating. This situation that I'm in sucks. Like some people, other people don't have to go through this. And so those are some things that can make me kind of sad just on like a day-to-day basis. Um, But I usually don't let those moments affect my whole day's attitude. But when moments like that happen, I usually just give my dad or give my mom a call and just tell them how I'm feeling. And they'll usually tell me that what I'm feeling is okay to feel and they'll give me validation. It's okay to not be okay sometimes. I don't need to always be happy. It's okay to feel whatever emotion that I'm feeling and they'll usually tell me that. And then even that'll make me feel better. Like you're right, it's okay to not be 100% happy every single day. And yeah, so just like talking it through with other people helps me and getting that validation kind of my parents are great listeners. And so that really helps. You mentioned at the beginning of the conversation that the the incident 
happened because the other driver was four times, I think, over the drink drive limit. What happened to that individual that caused your injuries and your friend's injuries and the incident? Um, So that driver, he was taken to jail that night and then he posted bail. And so he got out of jail, um, I think the next day. And so um, he still had to have like an ankle monitor on him and couldn't drive at all for several months. Um, but then we were, um, that was going to be until we had a hearing um, where we would testify in court and, you know, ask the judge to give the driver the maximum amount, amount of jail time that we could. And so that is what we did. A couple months later, we all went to court, me and the friends that were in the accident and our parents, and then the guy who hit us. We, I kind of just shared like my experiences and I had to, share like the reality of my situation and how this will change my whole life. And so we asked the judge for the maximum amount of jail time for the individual and they gave that to him. And so right now he is in prison and it is to be determined how long he will be there. Um, They think a couple more years, uh, maybe like one or two more years. But yeah, so it's still kind of up in the air when he'll get out. But as of right now, he is in prison. And was he remorseful for what he'd done? Did he show any remorse and apologize? I mean, not that that can ever bring back your life as it was and your friend's lives as it was or, or, you know, reverse the incident. But do you feel he was remorseful, showed um, some regret for, for what he did? Um, so when we saw him in person several months later, um, up to that point, he hadn't reached out to us. He hadn't said sorry, done anything. And then in when we were in court, he mostly had his like attorney speak for him. And he never looked at us. He chose to have like his mask on. Yeah, he never really looked at us. I don't think he said sorry ever when we were in person he didn't talk to us and then he just was taken straight to jail and so then about a year later he sent me a letter and so this letter was sent to me a couple months ago and he apologized and he said like he won't reach out again if I don't reach out to him and so um, I haven't reached back out. I kind of have mixed feelings. Um, it seemed, I mean, he did say sorry, um, but it just seemed something that was kind of forced a little bit, if that makes sense. So we're still trying to decide kind of what to do with that, if I should reach out to him. So, but I know he hasn't contacted the other people that were in the car with me that had injuries as well and, you know, mental injuries too and so it's kind of I don't know it's kind of up in the air right now but a really difficult decision for you and and your family and I can only hope that when the time's right you make the right decision whatever that that decision is I also read that what happened in your case that from the legal point of view that there is now a new 
law or legislation in Utah where people who cause, you know, injury by driving, uh, drunken driving or under the influence of something else, that they can't post bail or something? Is, is Am I right? Right. So we actually made that law after the accident. So um, that was something that some of the dads of the friends that were in the accident, they all came together, my dad, their dads, they all came together and said, he shouldn't have been able to post bail so soon and for such a low amount because I think he was still a little bit intoxicated even when he left because it was, I think, 12 hours after he was put in jail that he left. And so our dads were kind of upset and frustrated by this. And so they wanted to make a change. And so they got with people, Utah's legislation. Um, Utah's board, and they decided to create a bill first called Sarah's Bill. And yeah, it basically says like your case has to re- be reviewed by a judge first, and then they can decide when you can post bail and for how much. And so that's kind of what the new bill said. And then I went to the Utah State Capitol building, and they all voted on it if it should you know be approved or not and they all voted yes and so that was a cool thing too and then um, a couple months later it became a bigger and bigger thing and then it was created into a law and so now it's called Sarah's Law and so that's just that's an official law that's now in Utah Um, and so that's something that has been a really cool outcome to see that because of this, that can make a difference in other people's lives as well. What a price to pay. It, it, you, you've been immortalized in, in forevermore the law books. And you've achieved so much in such a short space of time. Let the listeners be reminded, you know, this happened in 2020. We're only in 2022 now. So this all happened just two years ago and you've achieved so much and are still going on to achieve quite a lot of the things that you want to achieve but can I ask Sarah what what your ultimate ambition is now I mean what what is it you want to do moving forward you've got your whole life ahead of you you're not allowing what happened to you to hold you back you're inspiring other people because I know you've got a social media platform where you you share your developments and and your overcoming challenges so what is the I'm not going to say end game because you've got far, far too many years ahead of you to even think about the end game. But what are your ambitions or do you have something that you really want to achieve? Yeah, so I've always wanted to be an elementary school teacher because I've always loved kids and I love helping kids and teaching kids and having them understand it. And so... Um, I've always wanted to be an elementary school teacher. And so after the accident, I kind of considered this. I still really wanted to be one. Um, And I realized that I totally can be if I want to be. And so right now I am attending college at Utah State University. Um, I just finished my first year of college. And so I have about three more years left. And then I can become a teacher. Um, I want to be a teacher kind of where I grew up in my hometown. And yeah, so that's kind of the goal for me, my plans. 
for the near future is just becoming an elementary school teacher and hopefully making a difference in the kids' lives. I think you're already making an incredible difference in people's lives. And sometimes you don't need to be told that. It's just happening. People will listen to this. People will read about your story. People will see your story when they're looking for some inspiration in their own life, when they're trying to overcome physical or psychological. And your story will will pop up, not just across the pond here in Europe, but I'm sure across many states in the USA. Just one other thing that that I was just thinking about when you were talking about, you know, going to university, to college, to study, to become an elementary teacher. Do you find that schools, um, places of, of teachings accommodate people like who have disabilities? Do you think that there is enough? Because I've spoken to a couple of other people who have been in similar situations to you where, you know, their ability to do things the way they used to do it has been difficult because of traumas that have happened in their life. And I remember one guy who was involved in, there was a Manchester bombing here in the UK where he was paralysed like you are um, and lost both his legs. And one of his biggest frustrations, you know, he talks about the kind of raw stuff, you know, not being able to go to the toilet properly, et cetera, et cetera. But he also talked about the the practical difficulties, like you just mentioned about, you know, pulling up in a car park and the disabled space, if that's what it's called, is occupied by an able person, not realizing that when someone like you drives in, you need it more. Have you found any frustrations or are you are you just able to sort of do the things that you want without those things getting in the way because America, because Utah have taken into consideration the minority of people who need those things? Right. I feel like um, for the most part in the past two years, I have felt really accommodated for, and there's a law that was in 19, I think it was 19... 70s or something the Americas with Disabilities Act and so that basically says like every building has to be wheelchair accessible and accessible for all disabilities and so I know that all new buildings like have to be wheelchair accessible um, which is really cool and I've seen that and have felt accommodated for um, with plenty of parking spaces for me and ramps to go inside buildings Um, But there are some old buildings, like when I was up at college, there are um, the older buildings that were made before that act happened that are not quite accessible. But I just have people that are willing, more than willing to help me with whatever I need to accommodate me. And I think that that's what it's all about is just asking for help and asking for accommodations to be made and not being scared to do that. I know in the future schools that I teach at, For the most part, it'll be accessible, but I bet there will need to be accommodations with the high shelves or, you know, the high things that I may need to reach. Yeah, asking for those accommodations and feeling that confidence that, you know, everything will be okay and that people will help me. I've had to, you know, rely on other people a lot of the time. And so that has definitely helped. And that... It's such an interesting one to end on because 
it's what we all need at times, isn't it? That you can reach out to people and ask for help. It doesn't matter what your situation is, whether it's a physical or psychological, or, or whether it's because you're a child and you can't do certain things for yourself. But I think it's an important thing, what you've just said there, that when you need help, reach out and ask for help. And I suppose that's a powerful message in this conversation, that there will be people listening to you who may now take some strength out of your story in order for them to sort of say, actually, I can't do this alone. I'm going to go and look for help. So, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your story with me and and my audience. Is there anything that I've not asked you about or anything that you want to talk about before I end this interview? I don't think so. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for all of the questions that you asked me. I think this is going to be really good for other people to hear. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. The ability to carry on living when your life has been drastically changed through no fault of your own takes unbelievable courage and determination. Sarah found a deep sense of perseverance and is living a full and exciting life. She made that happen and for someone so young to overcome the challenges she faced and achieve the goal she set herself is a lesson to many. It's not easy, but possible. Thank you, Sarah, for being the person you are and inspiring others. I also wanted to say thanks to Sarah's parents for remaining so positive and encouraging her to live her life the way she is. Please share this episode with your friends, family and colleagues and follow the show for updates about new episodes by just clicking on subscribe. Your support really makes a difference. You can also be a part of this podcast by rating and reviewing what you've heard and tell us what you think. More importantly, tell others what you think by leaving some comments and feedback. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy Second Chance Podcast. Audio editing is by Audio Avalanche. The original music is by J-Row Productions. The cover design work is by Studio Minerva. Our social media creator is Sophie Warner. This episode was produced by Second Chance Podcast and me, your host, Raphael Rowe. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.